This week on the Lather Talk podcast, we have Neil Breedon from Heritage Collection Shaving. We'll talk to Neil about how he started Heritage, how he got into wet shaving, and how he discovered the love of vintage brushes. Coming right up. talk i have my co-host gerard with me hello what's up everyone hey gerard and then neil breeding from heritage collection shaving what's up everybody neil has gone and uh worked to recreate some of these lost brushes from yesteryear uh he's doing some really great work neil do you think you can share with us the story of how you got to wet shaving in the first place yeah yeah i'd love to i uh actually the guy that got me into wet shaving was a former drill instructor uh, in my company on Paris Island. And uh, I reconnected through a Marine chat, I guess group on Facebook. And uh, he had posted one of these shave of the days and I kept watching them over and over again. And uh, finally, I just threw out a question. I was like, you know, are you getting good shaves with that? And uh, cause I was an old cartridge user like everybody else was before they got into this. And, uh, and I actually was shaving in the shower, you know, I mean, I hated shaving. So he says, uh, give me your address. So I give him my address. And all of a sudden, this box shows up with a brush, a Parker Badger brush, a, um, oh, what's the name of that? It's a, it had a bulldog handle, but Weber, a Weber razor with a bulldog handle mm-hmm. and uh, some Taylorville Bond Street, some uh, Bombay, and just some of your old classic stuff. So I gave it a shot and uh, it was the best shave that I'd had in years. And my face felt great, and I just fell in love with, uh, you know, the uh, the relaxing, the meditation, sitting in front of the mirror, you know, like like he put it. He said, you know, as men, we don't pamper ourselves. He said, but why not? Why why can we not take care of our our grooming in a different way instead of doing it in the shower real quick? So, lo and behold, he just started introducing me to the forums. I, I got onto Facebook. Uh, I was a little late to the game with Instagram. That just happened last year. And then uh, I just fell in love with everything that wet shaving had to offer. But I really uh, fell in love with the hunting of the vintage stuff. I'm just a vintage shaving guy. I I have some new stuff, but I love the old vintage stuff. So that started me down a whole other path, which I'm sure we'll discuss here. So so it sounds like the chasing of the vintage items uh, really shaped kind of your wet shaving journey. I think it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because uh, as far as I know for me and Gerard, uh, we, we use, and for the most part, I think since we started wet shaving, we've used pretty modern stuff. So I think, uh, you know, I, I'd love, you know, through the course of today's conversation to learn more about kind of what, what caught your eye, even like, I'm, I'd be really interested to know what worked as far as vintage stuff. And then what is like, it looks, it's a nice set piece, but, but non-functional. Okay. So, uh, for me, the stuff that you would find in the antique stores, that's where I went. I I mean, they call it the haunt. And that was the thing that really thrilled me. It was kind of like, not so much an addiction, but it was just something I would do with my family on a Saturday. And you would find like the ever ready, uh, 200. It's like a, looks like a hourglass shape with a little gold, little ring around it. And those were so plentiful, but it's such a, um, such a bland looking brush. And then I would see on eBay, these real cool looking older, uh, big light brushes. 
and, but I could never find them out in the wild. So I started going down that rabbit hole and investing money in some of the, like the Everetti 200 double halo ring, the first one we did, that eluded me for the longest time. And then lo and behold, when I commissioned somebody to remake that for me, well, then all of a sudden they just appeared out of nowhere on eBay or I'd find them in the wild. And that's been a brush that really kicked it off for me. It was my first model. And um, the thing that frustrated me the most about it was you could spend 70, you could really get into a bidding war, spend 60, $70 on a vintage brush. And then by the time you tear the knot out and get to drilling out the old um, resin and whatever it is they put in there to hold the knot in there, um, they crumble on you. And there you've invested $60 in your time and you have nothing to show for it. And that happened several times to me. So I just kept saying, there's got to be a different way to do this. So I, um, I asked Leo Frillo. I don't know if you guys know who he is. Mm-hmm. Okay. I said, can you make me a 200? And he did. And he did a great job at it. But the thing was $150. And I'm like, whoa, that's real expensive for that. But it's a hand-turned, one-of-a-kind. I get it. And they're well worth it. So I was perusing eBay about six months later. It was about uh, two years in, year and a half, two years in. And uh, I bought a brush. And then I started talking back and forth to a manufacturer. And I said, "Um, how much would you charge me to make this brush? And uh, the guy said, "Um, do you have a sample? I said, well, don't have one. That's why I want it. And uh, he said, how about pictures? So I sent him, good gosh, probably 15, 20 pictures of all the different kinds. So he come back with that Everetti 200, like you see it, which is not, it's not exactly identical. The only thing that's different is the bottom part has a nice little, it juts out a little more, but that that's what played into the ergonomics so well of it and made it such a better feeling brush in the hand than the original. So I kept talking to him. I said, can you make me another color? Oh yeah. And he said, well, if you're so interested in these, why don't, I make them for you and you bring them to market in America. So it just kind of fell in my lap. And I said, okay. He said, what kind of, I said, what kind of money are you talking about? I mean, is there a minimum order? Um, Cause most of these places, they want you to order 200 of them at a time. I said, I don't want to get into a big investment. So lo and behold, uh, we talked it out and uh, he said, uh, I'll make you a deal. I'll help you get started. If you're loyal to me, I'll be loyal to you. And uh, you help me, I help you. Uh, it's been a learning experience because I've had to learn to speak Chinese in English. You know, when I speak to them at night, I've had to learn to speak like a like in small bite, small sound bites to get them to understand. But okay. they can they can they can interpret stuff, um, and they can interpret stuff. And some of them speak very good English. But the guy that makes my brushes, we communicate very well now. We've learned each other, and. Lo and behold, he finally said to me, hey, look, I'll start you out small. We'll build you up. And then if you've got the ideas, we'll bring them to market. It's a win for you. It's a win for me. So we launched the 200 model. So mm-hmm. then that became a success. And I only had, I think, 75 of those. I think you were, you ordered one, didn't you, John? When uh, I think you ordered a, a cream and crimson and cream. You were one of the very first crimson and cream guys. That's right. I I absolutely love that brush when I saw it. I mean, in general, the Everready 200, the fact that you went with that first, that was the, the that was the main vintage model that I've been chasing. And 
funny enough, I don't know if I told you this, I, I was chasing the butterscotch and black one, which you also make. The fact that you went with the EverReady 200, it just, you know, hit the radar hard <laughs> for, um, for me at least. But uh, and I, I was shocked. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was actually curious though, did you have to go through contacting multiple manufacturers before you found your, you know, your guy, the one that you went with? Uh, no, actually, it just like I said, it just fell right in my lap, man. Okay. And it's it, it's it was like a uh, right time, right place, uh, right person. And I said, well, this guy just decided he was going to work with me. And that's when I said, okay, this 200 has worked. And we did very well, although we didn't sell out, we broke even. So I said, I wonder what a next one is going to be. And of course, J.R. Rays, I don't know if you know who he is. Mm-hmm. You know, some of you know. Okay, so he kind of was like, not really coaching me, but just said, Hey, look, I th- he called me up when he saw it come out and said, Hey, this would be a good thing. You might want to really push this hard. So then I said, all right, well, I think I'm going to do a second model. And then of course we did the raise Simon, raise edition Simon, and then a whole line of Simon. But the issue with that was John, that was so frustrating because I didn't have again, the actual brush and we went by pictures and measurements. Oh. So then I said, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. We're going to be using the actual brush or I'm not going to produce a model, but I got lucky with the first two because they actually look pretty decent. I mean, they're not uh, like the Simon. There's, it looks a lot like the Simon 77 two, which was a stubbier handle, kind of like the rubber set brush. When you get up into the four and the five and the six, they had a longer uh, kind of a slender sleek lined handle. Uh, so, but it would took the best of all those handles and combine them into one nice little brush in fact, I think you own one of those as well. And then uh, we went with the Merit. And that was a challenge, a huge challenge, because where are you going to get a Merit? And then who's going to risk sending a Merit across the world to have them reproduce? You know, uh, like when I finally got the one that I have, a $300 brush that you buy on eBay, who's going to risk that? So we did drawings, we did uh, measurements, and we come up with that one. And that was a hit. So then I said, okay, I got the Clenzo, the, the letters are all rubbed off of it, and I got the three-step here. I'm going to launch these two because I wanted to get a lot out in the market. So then I consulted an attorney friend, and he said, are you trademarking these? And I, Or have you investigated? I said, yeah, I have. And I said, the EverReady trademark's gone. So we re-trademarked that ourselves. So we'll own that. Actually, we own it as of January 17th. The certificate was sent out. We now own EverReady. And we'll own Simon, Merit, and Clenzo probably by May of this year. So you got to go through a process, and it costs money. And long story short, I said, I'm going to protect myself if I'm going to be investing this money here. But for me, it was a labor of love, guys, because there's it's not – I mean, it could be a a nice little side income. But the problem is you got to sell so many to break even, and then once you – break even you sit and you wait because everybody that's that's purchased already they're gone you've used up the world that's why i was telling you earlier i had to reach out to west coast shaving to try to get more exposure for the brand so hopefully that will pay off which if it does great my main goal was to just get off my my credit and not have to keep going back to the credit to keep purchasing the brushes and we're close but we're not there and I think the Gibbs, which we can talk about here in a little bit, might put us over the edge and keep us going. One of them, I'll say, we're going to come out with a double duck four. Uh, and again, 
another one, it's going to be true to form, but it's going to be in some outrageous vintage colors and then some crazy colors too that, that I've just done some research and watched the market and uh, saw that it's uh, they were real popular in other brush models, so why not on the vintage models as well? And then we're also going to come out with a, an EverReady um, Millennium, a brand new model for EverReady, never produced, but using a newer age brush um, I guess, like you guys know, you guys like the newer style brushes. It's going to be kind of like the newer style brush, but just have a different EverReady logo, uh, like 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 one of the very first EverReadys produced in 50 years, a newer model, basically. Like JR told me, he's like, it's got to be a labor of love, man, because the time that you have to invest. And for me, there was a point, John, and um, Gerard, where I was getting burned out, man. I really was. I was like, you know, it's just too much with running the funeral home full time and then taking this on. But then I kind of got my second wind after this drop of the merit, because I saw that people were like, whoa, you know, that's cool. Now I get to own one of those. And that made me feel good because I'm like, okay, now I'm bringing a product back to market that people really couldn't get their hands on. There weren't a lot of them made. Uh, oh, that okay. was the issue of the case. Steamon and Merit were made by Peter J. Michaels, the same company that makes the Steamon and the Merit Razor. They were made in like the 40s, 50s, I don't think they made any of the 60s, but the issue is there they were just not a lot of them produced. And I think I'm like one of maybe 15 people that I know of in the hobby that owns a merit, but you pay that hefty price for it. And it's I paid $313. And it was, and the only reason why I did that is because I just had to have one. I mean, I wanted it that bad. It, it called me crazy, but everybody else that I talked to that has them, they said, Yeah, man, mine was up there too. Yeah. I was around 275. I mean, the ultimate supply and demand right there, right? Yes, you know, 15 well, people on earth, you know, to yes. have a, a vintage merit that you know of. Yeah, and I happen to luck out and get one of the aqua, uh, kind of like the, what do you call it, the teal? Mm -hmm. uh, when after I, after I polished it off, and I'm not done with it yet, but, but that's the thing. That was the frustrating thing for me. I was like, why should we have to go through this? Why can't we just reproduce these? and get them into the hands of people and at a reasonable price. You know, we, I was, I shot myself in the foot by coming out at $35 the first go around that killed me. I mean, that set me back and I did it because I said, you know what, make five bucks a brush and be happy with it. Well, I didn't take into consideration that you got the boxes that you ship them in, you got the paint, you got your time. You know, I was still looking at it like from a hobbyist perspective. And then I shifted focus to, the business perspective. And then my attorney was like, look, you know, you're going to have your trademarking costs. Then if you eventually incorporate and you go that route, you know, you're going to start paying taxes. So we, we figured 45 was a happy medium that we could make a little bit of money, keep us in business. Cause this isn't a, um, I don't have to have the money. That's the good thing about the, the heritage collection. Like I said in the beginning, I'm not in this for a cash grab. I just love getting these brushes myself. If I took you to my shave den, you'd see I got every model that we produce. And I love that because that was the whole reason why I set out to do it. But if I could have done that and maybe not dove into this, um, I would have done it. But I was told I'm not going to keep making these unless you buy them in bulk quantity. So I figured, well, then maybe everybody else will like them too. John and I were actually talking maybe a while back and, and I brought up to him, you know, um, before, like, I think when we considered, you know, having you on is that like, like heritage collection shaving just occupies a very unique space 
in terms of shaving hardware. You know, um, obviously there's a lot of artisans that do um, custom orders or that do, you know, certain things here and there, but you just kind of bringing out these classic vintage models and you manufacturing process, you know that they're going to last a long time. The knots are, you know, are, are excellent. Um, you can put, you know, whichever one you want in there. And, and like you said, for a, a relatively reasonable price, yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's very enticing for people that, you know, kind of want that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Okay, so just to kind of clarify, just a, just a couple of things, because some people just may not know the types of knots that, that you offer. So traditionally, let me get this right, it was a board knot that was in all of the brushes, correct? No, it was a badger. It was a, oh, it was uh, a badger. It was like the equivalent of Maggard's uh, uh, entry level, I think. No, I meant the vintage, the vintage brushes. The oh, vintage oh, brushes. oh, yeah. No, it was a, um, it was a uh, two-band board. Let me show you. I got one here. It was a, uh, it was this, it was I this, like it. was this, uh, and, and I started playing around with this too. And I love the look of this, but it was this two band, okay. uh, bore, not that, that, cause you see them on a lot of the old ones where they're wore down to the, after years of use, mm-hmm. they get wore down to the black part. And then there were some that it would say pure badger on it, or, um, they were, they started, up in their game and getting into the badger hairs. But for the most part, they were all boar. And it, a lot of them were this banded boar. Banded boars. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, I can't really speak for everyone because obviously everyone has different tastes. The thing that got me into it, um, I, you know, I have, I think I have like three or four year brushes. Um, but uh, on the, on my 200 that I have from you, I have a badger. Um and then, uh, like you'd mentioned on the merit uh, that I have from you, I have, you know, your gel tip bore. And um, I really just like that classic look with the bore knot in it, you know. Um, I'm always one that I think options are just good in general. You know, that's just kind of how I am. Offering what the market wants is nice, but also, you know, have maybe having a small batch of what you want to experiment with like the gel tip bore. Uh, I think a lot of bore users, you know, will say, well, why do you need to do that? You know, you could just break it in, uh, you know, the, whether it's the cold water method, you know, for like a day and then, you know, like to just to um, break in those hairs. But I found, you know, I feel like I need to use it a bit more, but just the face feel is just really nice. 
very and soft, that, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and it's not like I have another Omega brush um, that I've broken in and it just is just, you know, very much face feel is just really, really nice. And it's, it's, very, it's very unique, uh, at least for me, because um, I've used like gel tip badgers as well and just kind of the sway of the bore, kind of like the, the extra backbone with it. It just, mm -hmm. a, again, a different flavor, you know, for the market in itself. So I think, you know, if people are interested in it, you know, at the very least, you know, kind of how I was, I'm just like, oh, sure, I'll experiment with it, you know, because it's kind of just like what I wanted, you know. Uh, I didn't know if I wanted a gel tip bore, but I don't regret getting it because it's kind of just like this something new. And I think there's always room for that, you know. Um, maybe in the long run, um, hopefully those, you know, people will be interested in gel tip bore from you. The demand for that will go up. But at the same time, I just think, you know, the market right now, everyone just loves badgers, like super high density badgers, you know, and, and, and whatnot. And they're kind of the end thing or, or gel tip in general. And, mm -hmm. um, and that's where you can go. Well, we sold uh, 10 of them uh, in two days this past weekend when I put that post out because oh, again, curiosity course? is what did it. Yeah. They, uh, I, I picked up, uh, 10 of them. And I said, well, let me just go ahead and gel one and just show everybody again, put another post out there. Like I did when you caught it and all of a sudden, uh, people were just like, yeah, yeah, I want to try it. I want to try it. So I ended up selling 10 of them and I'm trying to give it at a reasonable price because there's time in it. And this is another thing I got to, I got to rewind a little bit because the gelling process, America, if I'm not going to disclose what I do, but if America knew what the Chinese were doing as far as we, we were being duped. Well, the guy that I get my knots from, he, he just hates gel badgers, hates them. He said it destroy, and he's right. He said it destroys the hair to get that luxury feel to it he said and it's not it's too much of a waste of time for not much um return on the investment so he said i'm just not going to do it he said but i'll tell you how to do it i said really he said yeah i'll tell you how to do it so he gave me his method so i said okay well i'll take that method and then i expanded on it i did a little bit of experimentation testing and don't get me wrong i, I tore up some some badger i mean destroyed them just to get to a point where I can guarantee you the community a gel tip badger if they want one. So I tried it by doing a whole bunch of them and just offering that. Well, that was not really a disaster. It was just um, too time consuming. And there's some people that they just don't want a gel uh, badger or yeah, they don't want a gel badger. They would just rather say, I just give me a two band or a, or a silver tip. So now what I've done is I've gone to, okay, you can have a regular. And if you want the service, I'll individually gel your your badger hair for you give you one-on-one -on -one service and i'll charge you a little bit more premium for doing that for your for your badger and it slowed me down to the point where i'm producing them one two at a time three at a time instead of like 40 at a time and get them ready for market and they turn out a lot better it was a mistake that the chinese made when they did it and it became a great thing for america but then ever since then, they're mass producing them. But I found that I'm producing a little bit better gel knot by doing them one by one and then going through a couple extra steps that may be cumbersome for the manufacturers in China. But it ends up producing uh, a really, really nice, soft, luxurious 
gel tip and it's not too slimy. Uh, I've perfected it to where I can put it out in the market and not worry about it. But again, that was a couple because it's a whole different hair altogether. That's another one that I had to change my method and make sure what I was doing to the hairs was the correct thing and not destroy them. So I could actually put a, a decent product in the market and it hold up and, and still give that gel feel. Like really what it is, John, you said it best. It's taken the, um, the wait time of like a year to break in a bore and doing it instantly. But it's also making the fibers nice and soft and luxurious, like kind of like a wet, I told my wife, it's like a wet mop you're running on. It's, I don't know, it's weird. It's a great feel. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, it's a, you know, and I've used this analogy, like, you know, with, with mm-hmm. anything, you know, some people just like different flavors of ice cream. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and so, or um, if you could, you know, make the analogy for like cars, like, you know, some people are just into vintage cars. You know, even though like some stuff is faster, more like, you know, like nicer, technically, you know, whatever, like nowadays, I, I think it's, it, it's kind of the same thing with that, um, you know, especially with brushes, you know, and, and like I said, I don't think anyone was asking for a gel bore, right? No. And, and so you're just like, screw it, let's just do it, you know, and, and let's just let's see where this it. goes. You know, if it's terrible then it's terrible. Right. You know, I learned something, but, um, yeah, it's, it, it is, it, it's nice. It's just different because it's kind of hard to explain it, you know, to someone who hasn't used it, you know, like as far as my, like just having a little bit more backbone, um, that super soft face feel and, um, and it's just, it's the most unique brush I have because it doesn't feel like any of the other brushes that I have. You got to experience it, right? Yeah, no, definitely. How can, how would you guys describe the scrubbiness of a gel board? That's that's what my head can't wrap around because <laughs> gel equals extra softness, but you're using a bore uh, because <laughs> because you want the scrubbiness. So so what's the deal with that? For me I, and Neil, like you can maybe pick up like I get no scrubbiness. Like you know, like like Neil mentioned it like like um like a wet mop, and yeah. I mean. It's not quite that that soaky, floppy, but it, it feels kind of like that, you know, um, you know, on your face. So, like, yeah, I get very little to no scrubbiness, but um, because I think of the backbone with it that I that I have in my brush, it just it's you're just able to kind of like you know develop that lather on your face pretty well. Um, I don't think I've used a bowl uh, with mine. I've just tried to go like directly, you know, like do face lathers. Yeah. And yeah, I've just had, you know, pretty good success in, in, in developing it. And, it. and it's a great painter. Um, you know, just, it's just very, very different compared to some of the other like Badger offerings that, you know, and things that, out there, at least for me. Sure, sure. Even folks who have bought a brush from you don't know kind of this great behind the scenes look, right? So both that you're a wet, wet shaver, you're an enthusiast, you're a vintage collector, but also you kind of wanted to give something back to the community. So you kind of dove into, you know, the, the business side. And of course you shared mistakes that were made uh, and, and kind of like tweaking it so that, um, it's still in, enjoyable to you, you know, to you, but I, I feel like 
stuff like with the trademark and even like having the foresight to go to a lawyer, I, I bet you most folks didn't know that you trademarked, you know, EverReady and and Simon and and that that kind of detail, you know, like I I think that's just going to be very revealing to folks, especially if folks who might be like just thinking you're you're copying something and then you know with, with no acknowledgement of the I don't know, original company or if they think it's disrespectful or whatever. I think by pursuing the trademark, by doing it like you said, by doing it legitimately and above board. I feel like that should give people, you know, extra confidence to like, okay, I can't find this brush or that brush, but this is, you know, this is great, especially if I get it in some sort of new contemporary color or or whatever. So, uh, you know, it, it, I think it's just a lot of information that obviously you know, <laughs> but maybe haven't had the platform to to share that story. So I, I'm just I'm just really glad to kind of get those those really interesting details. Oh, this is great. Yeah, yeah, that that was just a business decision because I felt okay, if you're going to do this for the long term, somebody else is going to try to do it and tr- just at least if you're going to if you're going to um put out these models, trademark the ones that you're doing so you can protect uh yourself. And I'm not going to go after every single model. I mean, there's so many of them out there, but I'm picking I'm handpicking the ones that are hard to get um that are sought after and they're they're actually unique in their looks too. So, but yes, this has actually become a business. And uh, for me, it's still I still have that labor of love because you, I get so mad at DHL sometimes when I'm like, when is my shipment going to be here? They said it would be here by three. My wife's like, calm down, the brushes will be here. Calm down, <laughs> calm down. And uh, you know, I had to get special permits to import badger hair. That was another yeah. thing that I had to do. And then again, I just had to use my business skills to keep it going because if I don't treat it like a business, it's not going to be around. You know, it's going to, well, I'll, I'll either run out of capital and I'll be sitting here with a ton of brushes. You had mentioned how just in terms of individual brushes and kind of the uniqueness in the manufacturing process, the the prices may vary in between them. Like, you know, with the Merit, you know, it's the fluting as opposed to something like maybe the 200 where the shape isn't that difficult or or that um, that cumbersome to 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 do, right? And so, as far as you know, like in the future, I mean, I'm sure that that would just you know contribute to being a factor, saying, hey, you know, if it's going to be a little bit more, it's because of the manufacturing process. You know, just took more time, you know, to get these at a you know fair price, you know, and things like that. Uh, the merit's the only one that I encounter that on everything else has been pretty much the same. So that's, and I don't anticipate that happening unless there's a model out there that like, if I switch and I go to like a wood bottom handle and, uh, you know, cause I'm sure some people have asked about those, Hey, would you do like a wood bottom or the old, uh, uh, aluminum top ever ready with the wood, small wood handle from back in the 19, 19- 10s and 15s or whatever it was um right now i'm just sticking with the acrylic uh same stuff everybody else is using uh because it's the most durable and my thank you so much for just kind of you know walking us through kind of the history of heritage collection shaving and it's been fun to listen but what's what's in the future what's the vision for heritage collection shaving 
in the next year or five years and beyond from now. Okay, so we'll start with a year. So let's say for this year, since this is we're this is our second, this is it's not our first full year. We're, we're six six months into the business, but this will be our first full year. I want to continue to try and put out, um, you know, some more consistent color offerings to where you're not just seeing a bunch of stuff out in the market like one month it, or one drop it's a purple and a bunch of reds and greens and one drop it's this color or that color. I want to try to streamline it and get it down to maybe six to eight, maybe 10 at the most really good colors and stay very consistent. Come out with some more models, but also I want to get the business to the point to where my risk is, is, a, is at a minimum because I'm almost there to where I'm at a break-even point for the business. You know, I, I, I get to the break-even point for the, the brush purchase, but I'm not at the break-even point for the business. And once I get to that point, I think then um, I'll start to open up a little bit more. I'm dumping everything back into the business itself. Like I said, with the trademarking, with, uh, you know, trying to have um, strategic um, – alliances with like West Coast shaving and places like that, trying to up the game and scale the business. If the community will support it enough and allow me to do so. Um, I think that um, eventually uh, we're just going to be one of those brands that um, maybe we'll cross over into some of the vintage razors like we are too. And I've got another razor uh, besides the Gibbs that's, I don't want to disclose it yet, but um, it's on the back burner and uh, it's another one that's hard to get that um, I just got to be careful with trademarking issues, but I've explored it. We can get it done. And I'd like to bring that to market too, maybe next year. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, I'm just enjoying it guys. I love it. I love everybody in the community. Um, Guys like yourself, everybody's been great. Um, I do one thing that I got involved in were some collabs and not saying they were good or bad, but I kind of want to shy away from collabs because I would rather just focus on um, being the best heritage collection shaven that I can be and not to water down my brand with intermingling with other brands. You know, I'll help artisans any way I can, like, you know, giving away a couple brushes to help promote their soaps or things of that nature. But I just, for, I think from here forward, I think I got involved in one more collab that's coming out. And I think I'm probably going to just migrate to just kind of doing things on my own and just focusing on putting, putting the, um, the money back into the business, producing some really, really cool, great vintage products and uh, just doing my part as an artisan. And man, this has been great guys. I've really enjoyed being out here with both of you. Awesome. Well, it's been great talking to you, Neil. Um, I guess since we're wrapping up here, uh, Neil, can you tell people where they can find uh, both your website and where they can find you on social media? So yeah, I'm on Instagram at Heritage Collection Shaving. Uh, Facebook, we've got a Facebook page that's kind of taken off as well. Uh, You can find me by my name on Facebook. And then you can also find our website, www.heritagecollectionshaving.com. And also just I want to just let the community know, just please be patient with me over the next three months or so, because we got a lot going on and you're just going to have to keep checking the website to see, you know, what models are out. Uh, You know, I just, I'm doing a lot of um, going through some growing pains, so to speak. So if you don't see something uh, that you're wanting, maybe check back 
a month later and it might be there. So that's all I'm, I just want to get across the community is, Hey, look, I'm doing the best to get everybody what they want and, you know, um, what their desires are. So again, I really thank you guys for this opportunity. Awesome. Well, we're really excited to see, uh, what you have in store for this year. And I think I, I just want to wish you good luck. Um, I know every business goes through growing pains. So, you know, uh, in the, yeah, in the coming months, ho- hopefully those can get settled, those matters get settled. And really, I think you have such a creative eye uh, as far as, you know, what brushes you're bringing to market and uh, the color co- combinations you offer. So really, Neil, we're, we're, we're rooting for you. Thank you, John. And, and likewise, man, you guys got a good thing going. And I think it's great for the community to be able to take two guys that are passionate about the shaving uh, hobby and have been in it long enough to know what's going on and helping artisans like myself, um, you know, get our name out there and expose it. So kudos to you guys on Lather Talk. I just absolutely love it, man. Thank you for listening to Lather Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share and subscribe. We appreciate your time and support and hope to catch you next episode.